Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello and welcome to An Hour in the Garden. My name is Paul Peacock. An Hour in the Garden is a weekly podcast that takes you on a journey through the gardening year. You can subscribe on iTunes and if you like us, please rate us on iTunes and other social media. You might also like to listen to our other podcasts, Recipe for the Day, Making Cheese at Home and the Sausage Podcast. And very soon we're going to have a Good Life podcast that focuses on growing and keeping garden livestock. You can find all of our work on www.kitchennewbie.com and we hope you will sign up to our newsletter. Hello and welcome to An Hour in the Garden. And I'd like to start off, and I keep on doing this, it seems that my summer has been plagued by doing this and you're all going to believe that I'm a bit of a con man and <laughs> never actually get into the garden at all. But many apologies for not having a podcast last week, literally because um, I was too unwell to do one. You know, you go to your grandkids and look after them and we share everything. I love my grandchildren. And, of course, they turn round and, in exchange, give you one of the bugs that they picked up from somewhere. And believe me, it completely floored me. I couldn't do a podcast quite simply because I couldn't even lift up the recorder to be able to do it. And so all that I've been able to do the course of uh, the previous week was to look forlornly out of the window and quite literally this is Sunday the 23rd of September and it has been my first foray into the garden and it's particularly pretty much wiped me out but I thoroughly enjoyed it what I managed to do was to clear some beds I cleared um, a small cabbage bed and some potatoes too. And that was enough for me, I'm afraid. But I, I found myself looking um, at the trees in the wood next to the garden, um, being fascinated by the way in which the ash leaves would fall from the tree. Now, we're all very familiar with sycamores and other maples with their helicopter-type fruits. And we can easily understand a reason why a helicopter-type fruit would move a plant on. You know, it would land quite a distance from the tree and therefore the range of the trees over the years will increase. That's kind of self-evident. But what isn't quite so self-evident is, and I never thought of it before, 
the shape of the leaf of the ash tree pretty much does the same thing. We have these hundreds of twirling leaves that kind of float on by <laughs> as you are staring at them in the garden and they they're fascinating to watch and it led me to um, think about the whole gambit of um, the falling of leaves there was so much I mean so much so that in America they call this time of the year fall uh, in the UK we call it autumn and I don't know what they call it in other parts of the world. Um, o is in um, France, of course. But fall is a particularly descriptive way of saying it. However, I do like the sound of the word autumnal. It makes you want to curl up with a bowl of soup near the fire. Which, uh, what a good idea that would be. <laughs> um, but what's actually happening when it comes down to the falling of leaves? Why is it happening? Now, there are lots and lots of reasons why it's happening. And they don't apply to every plant. They don't apply to every species. And of course, many species don't drop their leaves. And it's almost potluck to find out which one it's going to be that will fall and which, you know, whether because you get pine trees that drop their leaves and they um, usually um, form nice masses. One of the things my father said that he enjoyed when he was in the armed forces over in Germany was sleeping on big mounds of pine needles um, in the Black Forest. I can understand that once you've got over the prickliness, of course. I dare say that wasn't particularly nice. But you get big mounds of them and you get also, like with broadleaf trees, them blowing away, as we've been describing. What, Why they happen is a bit of a mystery in many ways. Partly and I say only partly, this is to save water. But that doesn't always hold true because very often the winter time, particularly in temperate zones, is wetter than the summer time. And so it can't possibly be just to save water. Another reason is that's often given is that it's saving energy. Well, okay, fine. But why is it saving energy? What What is it that the tree needs to save energy for? We, we, we literally don't know that the answer to that. If the leaves are still working. Now there's a clue, of course. If the leaves are still working. Another reason, and we'll come um, on to that because of this, is that sunlight, when it crashes into a, a chloroplast... The chloroplast is the little pile of, well, they look like pennies stacked on top of one another inside a cell and they're full of chlorophyll and they actually initiate the first stages of photosynthesis. When that 
the sunlight crashes into there, then it's over the course of the summer, it's going to do damage. And so the efficiency of the leaf can drop significantly as it continues to be damaged by the rest of the, um, uh, the sunlight that's falling on it. Now, rather than just drop those leaves and for the plant to literally lose the nutrients, the enzymes, the sugars, the chemicals, the um, minerals that are in that leaf, the, the leaf is um, denuded of them, the, the plant reabsorbs them and the leaves change colour because the chlorophyll has broken down and then eventually it falls off. So that's another reason for it. There are lots and lots of reasons and no two different types of um, species are, are the same in the way in which they do this. So what is happening? How does it actually happen? Well, if you were to take a um, cut tree trunk, what would you see? You would see, first of all, a layer of um, sapwood, wood in the middle, uh, and then ring after ring after ring of um, wooded material. And then on the outside of that ring of wooded material, then there is what we would call a layer, a living layer, where the vascular bundles that are feeding the tree are actually working. Now look, the centre of the tree is also working too, and it becomes an exceptionally complicated situation. Plants are as completely evolved Forgive me if you believe they've just been created, but that's fine. Plants are equally created, if you like, as as human beings are. We often think of the sort of, I can't, can't stand to use the word, hierarchy of um, living beings with, the, with man at the top. Well, that's, that's, that's not. We are no more evolved for life on the planet than... A fish or a slug or a, a protozoan like an amoeba you know the, we are all basically at the pinnacle of evolution for that particular type of um, organism so trees are equally complicated as valid as human beings in the way in which their physiology and anatomy work together to create the living being. So we should expect things to be rather more complicated than, than they at first appear. Now we get to our outer layer of our, of our uh, trunk and then on the outer of that there's a layer of cork. Between the layer of cork and the layer of wood there is a layer of dividing cells and we call them cambium. Now these dividing cells will produce cork on the one side and wood on the other side. They'll produce vascular bundles on the inside, a cork layer on the outside. What's this got to do with leaves? Well, we know that a leaf has got its basic frond 
and then the center of that frond is a, a vein basically made up of a vascular bundle which is fed from other veins throughout the leaf and so it gets bigger and bigger and bigger towards the end and then there's a kind of a leaf stalk that we call a petiole and that leaf stalk has um, cambium in it just like any old trunk of a tree the cambium layer at the very end of the petiole where it joins the um, stem that it's born from at this time of the year by receptors that we don't always know sometimes it's the length of the day it's a combination of enzymes a very complicated combination of enzymes that makes it begin to create cork and so at the end of the petiole you are slowly developing over a few weeks a layer of cork and this layer of cork probably starts in August and is built up and built up and built up until such a time as you have a big thick layer of cork at the end of the petiole and that's known as an abscission layer now that layer I mean you, you'll both know this if you've got a piece of cork and you've got a, um, a twig of the same diameter and you bend the cork the cork will snap much more quickly than the twig will uh, cork is much more brittle and that is what is happening uh, when the leaf has got its cork layer the abscission layer is more brittle than the the twig and so when the wind blows eventually that abscission layer breaks and so the leaf comes away um, the leaf the plant goes into dormancy and then you can do various things with it we can work on fruit trees we can prune and so on and then as the day length increases in the spring then um, the buds which have been forming during the winter break out and produce more leaves in some plants you get flowers first cherries for example um, sometimes every now and again you'll get a tree that refuses to respond it's not necessarily dead this often happens with um, trees in garden centers where they're in small containers and need to be sold and got into the ground and they refuse to create leaves and the way in which you um, work on that tree is called sweating and essentially what you do is you bring it inside put it in a warm greenhouse um, sort of um, 18 degrees warm celsius 60 degrees fahrenheit that kind of warmth and it should stimulate uh, the plant to recover so um abscission layers and um cork produced by auxin sorry by cambium the enzyme involved is auxin endolyl acetic acid 
and it's amazing isn't it that we get such a, a, a wide range of plant um, metabolism created by just a few hormones um, it's fantastic so anyway onwards what have I been doing what I've been able to do in the garden very little but what I have had one of the I don't know if it was a joy or actually um, a bit of a curse but through the letterbox one day came my King Seeds catalogue which I get every year and we make orders and we plan and we do all of the different things that we um, feel we need to do uh, when the weather is so bad that you can't get in the garden and uh, then a few weeks later joy of joy the uh, seeds appear on the mat in the hall via the postman and so what did I buy or what are we working on this year and I've, I'm not going to go through A to Z but I had I am starting on um, broad beans and I will go sort of kind of a little bit alphabetically but only as um, for a few of them because for basically I don't want to bore you to death <laughs> which is probably what I'm doing anyway um but anyway never mind i can't do much about that um now it's time fairly soon october time to sow your um, broad beans aquadulces um, not all broad beans will will do well sown in the autumn time um, but i'm going to be sowing some um, um vicia faber aquadulce uh, this year because it does give you a good start and it's always nice to see a bed with something growing in it isn't it one of the beds that i cleared today is literally going to have the um the the, the pooed on straw in the chicken hutch uh, leveled over it and then i'm going to cover it with a tarpaulin and then i can spend most of the winter um rotting in and uh, doing everything good but yes um aquadulce is going to go in with one of the beds but i want to produce some broad beans in pots on the patio and there are two that i'm looking at that might be worth you having a look at if you've only got a small space one of them is called oscar and this produces around about four they're short pods you can get broad beans in two forms long pod and broad pod obviously long pod is what you expect it to be it's a long pod with full of seeds and a short pod is a short pod full of seeds oscar produces about four or so seeds per pod so you need a lot of pods but you can put quite a lot of them in pots and that's going to be my goal for the um springtime i'm going to be planting these sowing these sorry at springtime so one of them is oscar and the other one is robin hood so i could all see it is going in pretty much now um, but um, oscar and robin hood they will be um, going into uh, their pots around about um, end of march so that by the time june comes along we should have 
plenty of plants. Now, one of the big reasons for planting or sowing, I keep saying planting, forgive me. One of the reasons for, for sowing aquadulce right now is, first of all, it gives it a good start off, and that's important. But the second reason is uh, quite interesting in as much as you tend to get your crop before the black fly come. And so that's really quite helpful because uh, you do get fantastic infestations of black fly. Uh, they do really seem to be completely virulent. So, so that's the fine. Now, aquidulce is planted out in double rows. In, so in other words, you've got um, two rows and they're around about um, 18 inches apart. And then you've got a, maybe another two feet before you get another two rows. And that's um, the way to do it. Now, I tend to put two sort of crosses, one at the end of each row, and wire them. My, my rows are not very long because I don't have a long garden. I'm more of a short squat garden and so consequently um, it's not as though I'm on a green um, sorry a, a, an allotment for example where I can have full-sized rows and I can't but anyway broad beans and uh, that's where the I, I, I often start aquadulce a little bit earlier but you, you can sow them straight into November and they'll still come on. They'll start to grow and then they'll just stop. And then in the springtime they'll be back again. Now it's a bit late for sowing cabbages. But you can get um, some plants for growing on. And the ones I'd like to suggest are April, uh, Wheeler's Imperial and Wintergreen. Now they've all been sown in August and should, there should be plants available now if you look on the web for them um, you should be able to get hold of plants to put in or, or equally have a search around garden centres most of the garden centres near me tend to be completely sterile of of any old stuff <laughs> and they look very posh and very clean and very nice but I, I do like to have a garden centre that is well lived in but anyway and for me this year it's savoy i'm going to be growing lots and lots of savoy which i'll be sowing indoors in february march um most of this last year i've been sowing greyhound which um, i've harvested the last of them now and they've done very very well except my protection of them wasn't brilliant and so uh, this year I'll have to make sure that my protection is much better than it's been because they've been a bit maggoty, a bit sort of um, butterfly -y. But nonetheless, you can still use them. And I'm a great believer in waste not, want not. So there it goes. Now, I have a problem growing carrots. No, I don't. I don't have a problem growing carrots. They're very easy to grow, but... I have a problem cooking carrots because I like to have um, equally sized batons often um, when we're cooking carrots I will cut them into batons and you have them 
thin and floppy at one end and rather thicker at the other end. And so there's a couple um, that I've, I'm going to try for the first time this year. One of them being um, Aaron. I, I wondered if it was Aaron, but it's not. It's Aaron. It's A-R-O-N. And this is um, an F1 carrot, which I, I tend not to grow F1 plants, but I want to have a go at this because it's kind of a stumpy shape. It's it's cylindrical and comes to a very a very sort of chiselled stump at the end. So I'm quite interested to find out if that works and it will allow me then to create a um, a, a carrot dish <laughs> that is um, sort of uniform all the way down. And the other one, um, which is something I've not really had a problem with around here but I have on allotments in the past and that is um, carrot fly and they can make an absolute mess of your carrot population and so um, there's a variety now called fly away which is supposed to be carrot fly resistant so I shall be trying both of those and seeing if we can't get um, some Again, the reason for looking at carrot fly away is that it's again it's a it's a bit longer than Aaron, but it's it's again it's kind of cylindrical. Um, and then um, another one is uh, Burlicum, um, which apparently is also again a good shape for batons. So uh, we're going to be trying two, three different types of carrots, and we'll be sowing them. In the spring. Now, for my money, there are so many different kinds of cauliflowers to grow. And um, for my money, the easiest and the best one to, to actually get in the ground and have a crop is all year round. A really old um, cauliflower and it always succeeds you get nice tight creamy heads and uh, really quite simple it's sold them now in a cool greenhouse and overwinter them and um, you can sow them in almost any month of the year except for june july august and the june july august thing is only because that's what the books say to be absolutely frank i sold them in june july and august and had um, perfectly acceptable plants. You can sow them outside once the frost has gone away and so consequently um, there not, ought not to be a month of the year when you've not got cauliflowers available and uh, at essentially one cauliflower per fortnight you don't need that many to be self-sufficient in cauliflowers. You can plant them out literally from March onwards because they're quite hardy. Harden them off before you do so. Um, if we have any badness in April, they'll tend to recover from it fairly well. And, and so that's fairly nice and easy to do. Now, another one that I've omitted to grow this year and I've missed it. And I've got so much garden material rotting away in various piles 
<laughs> various compost heaps um, that I need to use some some of this up and to get it back into the to the beds and so I'm going to be growing celery this year and of course we're going to be sowing them in February around about 18 degrees and pot them on into a three inch pot and just leave them in the uh, reasonably cool but definitely frost free temperatures and then you plant them out then um, around about first week in May uh, and the big thing about celery is um, that first of all they love lots and lots of nutrients hence the introduction about compost they love lots of nutrients and and so consequently wherever they're planted they need to be in serious uh, uh, rich stuff we're, we're not necessarily talking quite as bad as potatoes but we know we we very we need very strongly um, composted material and then the other thing is water they don't like to be um, dry they don't like to be soaking wet either but they definitely don't like to be dry so consequently um, watering very regularly and making sure that they are uh, not under any stress when it comes to nutrients now Traditionally, you um, blanch celery. You know, you, you lift up the soil around them a little a bit like potatoes, and that blanches the stems. Well, I'm going to be growing golden self-blanching uh, this year, and it's not a strong flavour. It's, it's a very subtle celery-type flavour, and that is absolutely perfect for me because I think I'm the only one in the family that likes to eat celery um, raw and I think sometimes it's because I prefer the salt <laughs> but anyway celery um, you know a bit of cheese and celery is nice perfectly fine but I'm the only one that likes it nobody likes the strong flavor the other thing is that um, They're mostly going destined for the pot and they make a brilliant mirepoix. You know, that's a kind of a mixture of carrots, celery and onion from which you create any number of different dishes. So that's fine. Now I'm going to finish off uh, with garlic because it's garlic time. Um, the difference between hard neck and soft neck, well, it doesn't particularly matter. Soft necks are easy to grow, much easier to grow and produce more but smaller cloves. Hard necks are a little bit more fussy, but you would hardly notice it. Uh, and they produce bigger cloves, but fewer of them. And that'll, that'll do, basically, um, for the difference between the two. But um, these are the ones that I'm, be, being, um, I'm ordering, and I seem to be spending rather a lot of money on them. But even so, it's, I think it's going to be worth it this year. My usual trick for growing garlic would make your hair curl. Essentially, 
you go to the supermarket and buy some garlic and don't even know what it is. Stick it in the ground wherever you feel like it and then as you um, see it ready to harvest, you just harvest it. Stick it in the ground at any old time of the year and so on and so forth. But these, these deserve better treatment than that. So all of these are November planters. Although you can plant them and they will do better if you've put them in the ground in October. Bohemian Rose White is um, a really hardy one, full of flavour. I think the colder garlic gets, the better it is. And this one comes from Prague, so it's used to um, pretty cold uh, environments. And uh, so that's one, the first one that I'm going to be. And one that is really good in the UK, and has kind of taken the UK by storm, partly because of its flavour, is a really good flavoured um, garlic. And that is Carcassonne white and um, I should be buying a couple of bulbs of those basically just pull the bulbs together and plant them it's fairly straightforward um, cork white which is a Russian one and that's the one with the pink stripes you know the outer skins are pink stripes and the um, you get very large easily peeled bulbs which is good for the wife because it sends her doolally when you're trying to take the skin off a, um, a garlic clove and then uh, traditional ones ones that I tend to grow every year if I can early purple white um, which is a soft neck and it's easy to grow and you get plenty of um, lovely cloves from it and then the other one is the solent white which is another um, heritage soft neck and well worth having a go so I'm going with a lot of garlic. Well, this year I've gone with a lot of peppers, and we spoke about peppers last time. And uh, we were the only ones that we were not harvested of the peppers um, are the um, Thai dragons. It's frightening me to death. And we've got some jalapenos to harvest too. So um, if you see me foaming at the mouth sometime, <laughs> that's why. So yes, the garlics are... Um, going going into a fairly rich, well-drained soil. Garlics, um, most of these will grow in, in many different kinds of soil. You don't really have much of a problem with them. But, uh, yeah, plant them, look after them, harvest them, enjoy them. One last thing to say about garlic is that the um, hardnecks don't last so long as the softnecks. On, on the whole... The hard necks tend to last only about three months, so you end up eating them fairly quickly. Whereas the soft necks will um, last until you need them again, you know, sort of the next harvest comes in. I won't get a year's worth of garlic out of these, but I won't be that far off. So we hope you enjoy your garden. We hope I can remain disease free. <laughs> For the next week, we're going to have really decent weather, if a little cold. I'm looking at the garden now. I've got beds to clear and paths to work on. And then uh, things getting ready for next year.
Thank you for listening to An Hour in the Garden. We do hope you'll get in touch with us and tell us about your garden. Send us pictures. We'd love to know what our listeners are getting up to. If you'd like to help us in our work, then please consider becoming a Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com and it's a kitchen newbie that you're looking for. And we do hope to hear from you very soon with your pictures and your ideas for your garden. Pretty soon we're going to be having a new podcast all about the good life, which is essentially gardening with a whole lot of information about chickens and bees and other garden livestock thrown in. So please do look out for that and we'll hopefully see you next week.